Hey, welcome to Sounding Off with Kim Munson, our podcast. Be sure and check out my website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter there as well. Uh, right now at KimMunson.com is the Voter's Guide that Rick Turnquest and I worked together to create for this Colorado 2020 election, as well as we are going to be doing another event on October 19th at Waters Edge Winery, and you can buy your tickets there as well. Rick Turnquest, it is great to do this podcast with you. Yeah, thanks, Kim. It's This is my first podcast, so uh, <laughs> groundbreaking event today. I love it. A first time for everything. That's right. <laughs> We had such a great time just recently at our first Voter's Guide event, our salon series, over at Water's Edge Winery. It was a great discussion as we went through everything. We realized people may not agree with us on all of this, and that's okay. But we spent a lot of time on this to help people be more informed. That's right. And I think we tried to approach everything from the standpoint of, of you know, the principles of liberty and uh, and the values of the American founding and the ideas of, of limited government and maximum uh, maximum personal freedom, and uh, you know using those underlying principles to uh, judge all of these uh, and and discuss all of these ballot initiatives, I think is why uh, why we had a packed house the other night and why we did have a robust conversation and and I appreciate that because you know unlike the left who march in lockstep, you know we on the right uh, the center right we're we're we think for ourselves and we're not a collective we're we're independent minded people. And I think that it's all the stronger when we do agree on things. And I think that there is a lot of, of agreement on the on our recommendations for these ballot initiatives. There's a good, one where I thought that you know the the people had some good points in 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 their in their viewpoint, but it wasn't compelling enough to make me want to change my mind. Mm -hmm. So people can find this voter's guide at KimMunson.com, and it is really a great tool to have you know right by your ballot as you fill out your ballot. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump in here and uh, tell people. Uh, kind of a big picture on the, you know, where we started with this, Rick, and and you really did a nice preface on this. Well, thanks, Kim. And you know, every four years during a presidential election, we we hear that this election is, and you can't see my air quotes here, but I'm doing them, the most important election of our lifetimes. But um, Kim and I actually think that uh, this election is the most important election of our lifetimes. On a national level, we're choosing between what's left of our constitutional republic or giving into the anarchy and the progressive agenda, you know, which is basically uh, mob rule. And, uh, you know, the founders intentionally designed the United States government to rein in the passions of the people. And, and, you know, specifically we're guarding against mob rule because mob rule or pure democracy is just another form of tyranny. Mm -hmm. um, on the state level, there's several important ballot measures. That's what we're going to be talking about in this uh, podcast. Uh, they'll have significant impacts on our lives, uh, whether they're passed or not. And this voter guide is intended to break down each ballot question and, uh, you know, look at it from the terms of, as I said earlier, you know, core principles of what upholds the values of the American founding and uh, what's best for everyday Coloradans. Um, you know, you had written a little bit about uh, PBIs. You want to you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, politicians, <laughs> bureaucrats and interested parties. You know, Rick, many times people say I'm not into politics but politics is into you. And now people realize it with what has happened with the shutdowns and just the, the grab of power. When the COVID-19 Wuhan virus first, we first knew about it, it did seem to make some sense to just take a pause. However, that pause, what was that back in March? March. And we are now in October. And so we are way beyond pause. And uh, Governor Polis is Mr. Executive Order. Uh, he is not uh, really, uh, he's not supposed to be the legislator, but he has been legislating via executive order. Yeah, I heard uh, recently that he's issued, you know, just a huge number of executive orders, uh, more than several previous governors combined. And, and uh, it's it's pretty clear that, you know, maybe his intentions were good to start with. But as the chapter in the book Unmasked 2020 that goes into the Wuhan virus talks about, you know, it's just gotten out of control. And, you know, the idea of flattening the curve is, you know, be, has morphed into, you know, eliminating the virus or, you know, till we all have a vaccine or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. I mean, people are pushing back, you know, last night, a friend of mine said, you know, gosh, I wonder if there's going to be another lockdown. And I said, no, there won't be another lockdown because people are, people have had it. We're already, 
ready to get back to our normal lives. We've seen, you know, the numbers for hospitalizations and deaths, you know, continue to decline. We, you know, the hospital's never been, um, you know, overwhelmed. overwhelmed. There's a, I guess there's a facility at the Colorado Convention Center that's costing us millions of dollars that's never been used, um, you know, and, and maybe it's commendable that they, they, you know, acted in an overabundance of caution, but now that you know the models that they're using have proven to be, fu- fu- you know, um, incorrect, faulty. Yeah. faulty then uh, it's time to reevaluate and and re reengineer things. And I, you know, a lot of the left, the left bases a lot of their policies, um, whether it's relating to the Chinese virus or climate change, on computer models and. Computer models are only as good as the inputs that go into them. Garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. And I I saw, you know, an article in the Wall Street Journal several years ago about a guy who used to do computer modeling for a living. And he says, you know what? You can tweak anything to get the results that the people want. Kind of like surveys. Your bosses, right. Government surveys. Or polls, you know. (laughs) Or polls. All these polls that say Biden's ahead, yeah. We'll see. The only poll that matters is going to be on on, uh, November 3rd, and, and we'll see. Well, there's so much to talk. I have I could go down a whole nother group of headlines, but let's stay with our voters guide. One of the things that you've done, Rick, and you're on the show regularly, you're on the Kim Munson show regularly, you write a variety of op-eds which are so well researched. I would highly recommend people go to Kim Munson, that's M-O-N-S-O-N.com, and in the search bar put in Turnquist. And all of your uh, your broadcasts and your op-eds will come up. But you've done a lot of research. You're a numbers guy. You've really looked at the Colorado, the growth of the Colorado budget. And you go into that in some um, in-depth here in the Voter's Guide. Yeah, so... Um when last year when I was writing about Tabor and, and Colorado budgets, you know, it was a and taxpayers bill of rights. Ta- yep, taxpayers bill of rights. Thank you. You I always <laughs> I always say Tabor and you always say taxpayer bill of rights. But um you know, I really dug into the state budget numbers because it, it's interesting to me. Um, you know, the the whole idea of the taxpayers bill of rights is to is to uh, you know constrain the growth of government uh, by imposing limits on on taxation. Uh, the government can't raise taxes or uh, create new taxes without a vote of the people under the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. But um, even with that in place, since Tabor was passed in uh, 1992, it went into effect in fiscal year 90, 1992 to 93. The Colorado State budget has grown uh, from a 6.6, 6, uh, or it was just over $8 billion in 93-94. Um, and since then, it's grown to be $17.5 billion, in, and that's adjusted for inflation. In, in nominal dollars, it was uh, over uh, $33.5 billion that year. So it's grown considerably. The Tabor formula allows for the state budget to grow by uh, population growth p- plus uh, per, uh, an inflation factor. But the budget's grown faster than that, mm-hmm. even with Tabor in place. So clearly, you know, Tabor is necessary, and without it, um, you know, God only knows what our what our state budget would look like. Our our not our flat tax rate is four point six three percent. You know, if the legislature could have raised taxes at will, you know, it'd probably be in the eight to nine percent range by now. Um, which which means everyday hardworking people have less money in their pocket. That's right, and uh, you know they always say you know they always talk. They always say that the rich have the money to pay more in taxes, um, and I'm not rich, so I don't know about that. But uh, but it you know. When taxes are increased for everybody, uh, as you say, everyday hardworking American, you know, Colorado couples and, and families and individual people, you know, they they have less money to take home and, and less money to support their lives and and to save for retirement. So, well, and let's just talk just a little bit about a rich person as well. Uh, if you have a flat tax of four point six three percent, somebody that makes a hundred thousand dollars. Pays, uh, let's see, four four thousand, right? Four thousand six hundred thirty dollars. If somebody has income of a million dollars, then it is forty thousand six hundred thirty. So they are paying more in taxes. But when you start to ding people because they've taken risk or they're they're more successful or maybe they're you know putting more hours in at work or maybe just luckier, that isn't fair. And if they are able to keep more money in their pocket. People say, well, they may go on vacation. Hey, if they go on vacation, people get jobs because there's airlines and cars to rental and hotels. And, and so that money doesn't just stay under a mattress. It's, it, and it creates value for them. They get to have a vacation versus 
the PBI's taking that money, and they get to have a vacation on your money. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, private wealth, privately held and privately spent and, and invested, you know, these people create jobs through through companies that they own. Uh, when they go on vacation, you know, as you said, it creates jobs for the people that are, you know, working to, to you know, um, facilitate their, their stay and whatever. Um, but when money goes to the government, it just it just it's just gone you mm-hmm. know it may, it may it may be you know spent on a road or a bridge or but a lot of you know and fully 42% of the uh, state budget goes to healthcare public health human services and that's nothing more than just taking money from taxpayers and and using it to pay uh, you know medical premiums under the medicaid program and i don't know what all they're spending the money on in in healthcare and, and public health and human services, but it's a considerable chunk of the budget. And what I consider to be the core functions of government, you know, only accounts for about 14% of the total budget. And transportation, which is always a big buzzword when the legislature's in session, uh, it's apparently not a priority for the people we elect because... um, the, uh, it's about 6.5%. Yeah, 6.5% and of the it, budget. Of the budget, and it, you know, and it over the last 27 years, 28 years, it's averaged around 6, 6.7%, and that's true whether the Republicans run the roost or Democrats run the roost. So, you know, they they may pay lip service to transportation, but they really don't care about it uh, based on the way they uh, allocate the budget money. You know, I just want to make a point, Rick Turnquist, and that is this: is as we are looking at some of these campaigns out there. Uh, somebody had uh, brought forth uh, some of the early campaign messages, videos of John Hickenlooper, where he talks about, we are going to address homelessness. Well, you know what? Homelessness is off the charts now here in Colorado. Once you get government a government program involved in that, if they were successful, that program would go away, meaning those people would not ha- receive all the funds that they do. So they they like they say they want to uh, solve a problem, but in essence, if you get government involved, you're going to get more of it. That's right. And and you know, speaking and this is way outside the scope of Colorado, but you know, looking at the national war on poverty since Lyndon Johnson declared war on poverty in the 1960s, this country has spent trillions of dollars on poverty, and it's about the same level it was back in back when the war was declared on poverty. Plus, we've had a huge, a huge amount of unintended and, and undesirable consequences like breaking up families and, and depriving um, you know, young, young people, dis- disproportionately minorities, you know, growing up without fathers because their mothers are incented to not be married by mm-hmm. the government. Um, it, it's just created a, a, a huge number of social pathologies, and it's also created this entitlement mentality that is so pervasive among among many people, especially younger people, that, you know, the world owes them something. And, you know, the world really doesn't owe anybody anything. You know, it's up to us to make our lives. It's up to us to support our lives and and uh, and to work hard and to, and to earn and, and make smart choices um, with regard to how, what what we do with the money we earn. And so government should be limited. A, a, a limited government means a bigger individual, and that's where that's the American idea. That is what this election is all about. That's right. That's exactly right. And you know, as the budget, you know, and in the book Unmasked 2020, which is on Amazon, I highly recommend it because it's a great book. There's several, you know, it's written by several different contributors, and um, my own state representative Kim Ransom, who sits on the budget committee, uh, wrote a chapter in there, and she talked about you know how the how this last year's budget was um, was uh, basically balanced by raiding cash funds and other legit legislative shenanigans, and it's you know we're heading for a fiscal problem in Colorado because of the mismanagement of the one-party rule of Democrats down at the state capitol. Well, and so we give an overview on all this in the voters' guide. Should we go ahead and jump into some of the sure, recommendations? Sure, yeah. Okay, let's talk about, first of all, Amendment B. It's repeal property tax assessment rates. We are recommending a vote no. And it's the text of the ballot question is a little interesting. It says, without increasing property tax rates. It doesn't say taxes, which under Tabor, if if you are going to raise taxes, it has to be in all capital letters. But let's just think about this. What they want to do is uh, is freeze the rates currently where they are, which is, uh, I think it's 7.15% on residential property on the assessment rate. And uh, it's about 29% on non-residential. Now that doesn't seem fair and it probably isn't. We do need to do something about that. However, 
if you if you freeze the property tax uh, assessment rate and then your property values go up, that is going to be an increase in taxes on your residential property. And so I feel that this is a, a little dis, kind of dishonest just with that. Uh, it's a complicated issue, and we've spent countless hours working on this. I talked to Dennis Gallagher uh, from several different phone conversations about this. He is the architect of that, as well as Joanne Groff, who is the Colorado Property Tax Administrator. And she doesn't, you know, she doesn't take a stand on anything. I just wanted to understand how this assessment goes in uh, or how it works. We agree that something should be done. And the argument is, is that the small business um, person is getting squeezed. And that is true. However, this basically takes our, our the, meaning the taxpayer, the citizen, uh, our decision-making on this to try to keep government somewhat limited, and it lets the legislators then determine those property tax rates. I don't think that we've seen this particular group of legislators or governor that has been very friendly to small businesses as we go through this COVID-19 Wuhan virus reaction disruption. And so for them to opine that that is, might be what they want to do is to help the small business owner, I don't believe it. I don't either. And the truth is that, um, and I've been following Colorado politics very closely for about seven years now. And, and through it all, I've seen that uh, Colorado Democrats in particular, um, seem to view Colorado businesses as a giant pot of gold to fund their progressive schemes. And the truth is that the more regulations and taxations and limitations that government puts on business, the less business you're going to have. And we see this writ large in the state of California. Um, and, you know, people are leaving the state of California because they can't take the taxation, the regulation, and, the, and they're moving to places that are freer, like Texas. Or, and they need to vote for freedom. Or Tennessee. <laughs> and, they, and they need to vote, you know, for the party that supports the freedom. And uh, we'll talk more about which party we think people should vote for later on. But, um, you know, it's true. They, they definitely don't have a clue what it takes to run a business. And they are certainly not sympathetic to the plight of a small business owners. Well, and so ultimately we see this, uh, and this is Amendment B, modify property taxes. We see this as a potential residential property tax increase. And so we're recommending a vote no on this. That's right. So the next one. Next one is Amendment C, which relates to the conduct of charitable gaming. On this, we're recommending a vote of yes. And the text of the ballot question is, shall there be an amendment to the Colorado Constitution concerning the conduct of charitable gaming activities and in connection therewith, allowing bingo raffle licensees to hire managers and operators of games and reducing the required period of a charitable organization's continuous existence before obtaining a charitable gaming license? And basically what this means is this, this amendment appears to increase freedom by allowing licensees to hire professional managers and operators of games. Under current law, which is uh, interestingly about an 84-page document. Uh, <laughs> I'm rolling uh, my eyes. Yeah, right. Uh, under current law, the operator of a game of chance, like a bingo game or a raffle, um, is, is supposed to be a member of the organization which is conducting that activity. Uh, with this amendment, then this amendment allows them to hire professional uh, operators to to run those games for them, and we think that just makes sense. Um, it, there's also a five-year requirement that an organization has to be in existence for a continuous five years before they can even apply for a license, and this, this amendment lowers that five-year uh, limit or maximum to a three-year maximum. So it's an incremental increase in or freedom. Three minimum. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's a it's an incremental increase in freedom, so we, uh, for that we recommend a vote of yes on uh, on Amendment C. Okay, next one, Amendment 76. You did this one as well. Yeah, this is a citizen's qualification for electors. Uh, we recommend a vote of yes. Uh, my friend George Athanasopoulos was uh, one of the leading people on this and to get it on the ballot, so uh, shout out and kudos to George for that. Uh, the text of the ballot question is, shall there be an amendment to the Colorado Constitution requiring that to be qualified to vote at any election, an individual must be a United States citizen? And this is a kind of an interesting one because you'd think that it's kind of a no-brainer. Only United States citizens should vote in United States elections. Well, under the uh, federal 
Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act of 1996. Uh, That law does prohibit non-citizens from voting in federal elections with limited exceptions. However, non-citizens are not prohibited from voting in state or local elections, and in some states, local governments have the power to allow non-citizens to vote in local elections. At the present time, 11 local governments in Maryland uh, allow non-citizens to vote in local elections. And in San Francisco, uh, they allow non-citizens to vote in school board elections. In Colorado, our state constitution says that every citizen of the United States can vote, but it does not prohibit non-citizens from voting. Amendment 77 would fix that. And just as a principle, under the concept of nationhood, only the people who live in a state or a nation or people who have and, or, and pledge allegiance to that state uh, or nation and are either native or naturalized should have a stake in the governance of that state or nation. I can't go to Mexico and vote in a Mexican election. I can't go to the UK and vote for a member of parliament, you know, because I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not an English citizen, mm-hmm. a, a citizen of the, of the, or a subject rather of the, uh, of the United Kingdom. So, you know, it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear to me that only U S citizens should be able to vote in U S elections. And this, this amendment would cement that in place by saying that only the people who are, have a stake in our governance of our state are the ones who should be able to vote. Seems to make a lot of sense on that Rick Turnquest. Let's go to amendment 77, the local voter approval of casino bet limits and games in Blackhawk, central city and cripple Creek. Yeah, this one was interesting the other night. I know. <laughs> of all the things on the ballot, all 11 measures, uh, this is the one that provoked the most uh, spirited discussion, mm-hmm. which really surprised me. It did I, me too. I, yeah. I, I, you know, and to me, uh, you know, basically what this amendment does was it, it, would, it would amend the Colorado Constitution and the Colorado Revised state Statutes to um, allow the voters of Central City, Blackhawk, and Cripple Creek uh, for their own individual cities, to approve other games in addition to those already allowed, and to increase a maximum single bet to any amount, and allow the gaming tax revenue, the tax revenue, to be used to support services for improved student retention and credential completion by students enrolled in community colleges. So That's the one thing I don't like yeah, about it. You, you know, know? And, and it's always, you know, they always pretend to justify their tax increase request for the children as for the children or for education or whatever. And, and we, I think we've seen enough over time to know that that's just uh, lip service and it doesn't actually work that way because they're always asking for more. And, you know, just as an aside, you know, how much is enough? How much money do we need to throw at public schools to make them better? And the answer is there's not enough money in the world because they're run by People who are not interested in educating children, they're interested in perpetuating their own power. And, and the key thing that you're saying there is that, in generally, uh, there's always oh, of course, you know, and outliers uh, as it. I was saying, I was realizing that that's yeah. probably a blanket statement I shouldn't make. But 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 in the big picture, that seems to be the case, uh, and we're looking at. I think most everybody would love to get more money to the classroom. Would love to get more money to those good teachers. The administrative state within the education system is where a lot of that money goes to. And that's really who I was referring to, because I know there's lots of good teachers out there. I know many of them personally, and kudos to them for doing a great job for, mm-hmm. you know, something I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. But, uh, you know, so this this measure, um, you know, basically allows voters in those cities that already have gambling to, to modify the rules regarding the gambling. And, uh, you know, I personally don't gamble, but it's not my job to, to tell other people what they should do. And, and, uh, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, removing maximum bets, you know, in Vegas, I, I'm, I'm not sure there's any maximums. I remember last time I was in Vegas before I quit gambling that, um, you know, there's tables where the minimum bet was $10,000 and, and, uh, you know, so people, there are people who can afford to, to gamble, there's people who have gambling addictions and, and need help. But uh, you know, this this appears to to you know support the principle of uh, local control and, and local determination, and, and that's why we we ended up with a yes on that. Well, and it was a spirited discussion, and I've I've thought about it, and there were very valid points on it. However, when government gets in the business of telling people what they can and cannot do. And, and I understand that here in America, we've had a kind of a, a breakdown in society as well, but I don't think it's government's role to determine that. I think that we have to engage in the battle of ideas 
and, and, and engage there. And we haven't for a long time. And I think people are stepping up and doing that now. So education is important. Yes. And, you know, that's a good point. You know, a lot of pe- increasingly people on both sides, you know, are increasingly looking to government to, to solve their problems or to, you know, impose their worldview or their value system on, on the rest of society. And that's not how it's supposed to work. You know, the, the role of government is to protect life, liberty, and property. And, and people should decide these things for themselves. If you don't want to gamble, if you don't approve of gambling, then don't go gamble. Mm-hmm. And, but don't tell other people what they can and can't do because that's really not your business. And so we are a yes on this because, you know, we also think it's a, a, a bit of a freedom issue mm-hmm. as well. Okay, moving on. Let's see. The next one is Proposition EE. It's the Cigarette, Tobacco, and Nicotine Products Tax. We're recommending a a no vote on this. Uh, The text of the ballot question is in all caps because of TABOR, Colorado's Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. Tax increases have to be in capital letters. And it is asking if state taxes can be increased by $294 million dollars annually by imposing a tax on nicotine liquids, e-cigarettes, vaping products, all of these kinds of things. But yet it doesn't make sense to me, Rick. They want to put in this big tax on quote unquote, a sin tax, you know, on nicotine products, which they say is bad for you, which if they were successful, then less people would use these nicotine products, which would mean there would be less tax revenue, but they would have already then instituted programs for this $294 million. So at that point, I'm going to see them looking at non-nicotine users to pay, to help fund that. So ultimately, it'll be a tax increase across the spectrum. The other thing about it is this was referred by the legislature, uh, legislature to the ballot. And so there is a piece of legislation that backs this up, and it is 50 pages long. And James Madison, one of our founders, said, if the laws are so voluminous that people cannot understand them, then you should not pass that. So just on that alone, just common sense, it's a no vote. But it is a huge tax increase, and so we're recommending a no vote. It's also an interesting illustration of the cognitive dissonance, you know, that's often present in in progressive thought because, you know, they they – they, in this case, they understand that you get less of what you tax. And uh, so they, on the one hand, they want to raise money by, by increasing the taxes on, on nicotine products. But on the other hand, uh, you know, they recognize that they'll, they'll get less of it when, when, it, when it happens. And, and another thing is this is a regressive tax because, you know, disproportionately lower income and minority people are the ones who, who use these products and they'll be paying more in taxes. So... Well, and significantly more. And I, I connected a dot. You know, Eric Garner, uh, back was it 2014, the New York Daily Post uh, had uh, reported on it and said that he had initially been stopped on Staten Island for selling single cigarettes, which was against the law. And when something is taxed so onerously, it creates an illegal market. And when you, you know, then have illegal markets, then there's all kinds of bad things that can happen because I take it back to kind of this unfair taxation. And, uh, and so people get creative, you get an, 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 an illegal market. And uh, I think that that would probably happen here as well because the tax is really onerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, when I say that as well, I mean an illegal market. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so that, and that was a great point. You know, the, the police are the armed agents of, of the government and they enforce government laws. And so, you know. We don't want bad laws. We don't um, want bad laws. And, and, you know, it's ironic that the people that want more and more government in our lives are also calling to defund the government agents that enforce the laws. So it just doesn't, it's just another example of the cognitive dissonance I mentioned earlier. And I want to make a point about laws. We talk about law and order all the time. But the laws that we're talking about are the laws that enshrine this vision of our Constitution, protecting life, liberty, property, and that all men are created equal. Those are the laws that we really should be passing and um, supporting. And there can be bad laws, and of course there's different ways to push back on that, but we need to be electing people that make good laws. That's right, and stand for the rule of law. Mm-hmm. And and we're seeing right now in Democrat-run cities across America, and I wrote about this in my blog, Unfit to Govern, uh, that they're, they're not enforcing the law, and they're not standing for the rule of law, and they're letting the mobs take over the cities every night and uh, endanger lives, property, and, and, uh, and, and freedom. 
And then, and this is happening in many, say, ethnic neighborhoods, the people that live there don't want to defund the police. They want police there as well. So it's just an interesting time in America. It certainly is. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's go on to the next one, which is the national popular vote, Proposition 113. We are recommending a no vote. We've got the text of the legislative bill. This legislature and this governor passed legislation that would basically take our vote and our voices here in Colorado and give them to the big population centers like Los Angeles, Chicago, San Francisco, and New York. And in Colorado, there's something in our Constitution that if a, a piece of legislation does not have the safety clause on it, the safety clause basically says this has to go into effect immediately to for the safety of all Coloradans. There's no way that you could have put the safety clause on this. There's something in the Constitution that says that the measure could be referred or the legislation could be referred to the people of Colorado to see whether or not they agree with that. And that's what this is all about. And so the question is, is should we join this national popular vote compact, which totally circumvents the U.S. Constitution, the Electoral College gives our vote and our voices to California, New York, and Illinois, and other population centers, or should we keep our vote and our voice here? That's what the real question is, Turnquest. That's exactly right. And the United States, the founders were, were brilliant in their design of the Constitution uh, and the United States government because they wanted to rein in the passions of the public. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, the United States was never intended to be a democracy. It's a constitutional republic. There's a difference, and people should educate themselves on that difference. Um, the only members in the, under the original Constitution, the only, mem only members of, of the United States government who were directly elected by the people are the House of Representatives. Uh, the states were uh, appointed the two U.S. senators for each state, and that changed with the 17th Amendment, sh which sh should be repealed immediately. Uh, the Supreme Court justices are nominated or appointed by the president and subject to the advice and consent of the U.S. Senate. And the president was to be elected by the ele Electoral College, not directly by the people. And when you're when you're voting for a person on a candidate for president, you're not really voting for that person. You're voting for the electors who will then vote for that person. It's a subtle distinction, but it's important. Um, in all, and there's, let's uh, also point out that there's really no such thing as a national popular vote. There's no actual national election. Each state, each of the 50 states and the District of Columbia conduct elections in accordance with their own customs, traditions, and laws. And they're all different. And so there's a, you know, you can aggregate those totals and come up with a national total, but there's really truly no such thing as a national popular vote. And so in the history of our country, since the elect, you know, since the founding, the electoral college has elected the president every time. And in all but four elections, the results of the electoral vote have matched the results of the sum of the popular votes in the, in the, in the several States. But in four elections, uh, the electoral vote winner um, had fewer popular votes than, than the other major party opponents, and that was in 1876, 1888, 2000, 2016. Well, because of the most two recent results when Republican presidents were elected in 2000 and 2016, a movement has been afoot to uh, change the rules, and that gave rise to this na national popular vote movement. And instead of changing the Constitution, which is the right way to do it, they're trying to subvert the Constitution by creating the National Popular Vote Compact. So if Colorado selects, uh, you know, elects in our vote here, if we elect uh, Mickey Mouse and, and his running mate, Minnie, but nationally the electors vote for Donald Duck and his running mate, Goofy, then under the National Popular <clears throat> Always happens in this room. I, I <laughs> know. Vote. It's cold. <laughs> yeah. Under the national popular vote, Colorado's uh, electors would vote for what the national voters selected, uh, which disenfranchises Colorado voters in the elect presidential election. And the other left is always saying every vote counts, every vote counts. And, and that's true. But if this is allowed to go into effect, our Colorado votes will no longer count. And so it's very, very important that we vote no on Proposition 113. That is the national popular vote. The next one is uh, Proposition 114. And this was uh, put on the ballot through the initiative process. It's uh, it, it, right. I think that's correct. It seems like it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Initiative okay. 107. Yep. The restoration of the gray wolves. 
and we are recommending a strong no vote on this. And the text of the ballot question, when I read this, I was astonished to, for, to have a measure that would pick winners and losers, that people on the front range could actually vote to introduce a predator, and it says in the ballot language, west of the continental divide. And so people here in the metro area could vote that the gray wolf would be introduced uh, in our farming and ranching communities in in the west, uh, west of the, the continental divide. And so they're, in essence, making a decision that doesn't affect them at all, but really hurts other people. It could also hurt our food supply, make food more expensive at the grocery store. So in a roundabout way, it'll affect people in the front range. But it just seemed really unfair to me, Rick Turnquest, as I looked at this ballot language, what they're trying to do. And there's there's some different layers to this, too. You know, first of all, you know, I've lived in cities and in small towns, you know, medium towns all my life. I've never lived in a rural area or, or a, you know, a ranch or a farm. And so I don't, I don't know what that's like, but you know, for people that live in cities to, to be able to say that a bad thing is going to happen to people that don't live in cities is, is really immoral and, mm-hmm. and wrong. There's also an element. It affects their livelihood. It does. It does. It, you know, it, it actually is an impingement on their property rights because, you know, these people, the ranchers and farmers, you know, they own livestock, cattle, and so forth that they raise to sell in markets to make money. And, you know, and we consume those products Mm -hmm. unless you're a vegan or a vegetarian. And uh, so it's going to make it more expensive for us to to eat because there will be fewer uh, livestock available to send to market because of the predations of these gray wolves. It also, you know, I think plays into the overall uh, climate change uh, myth that the the, uh, left, you know, firmly believes in. They they don't want cows and, and other livestock animals out there emitting methane into the atmosphere because they believe it contributes to climate change. So they want to introduce these predators into the West to, uh, to do away with all these methane emitters. <laughs> you know, I want to make a point on the methane emitters. Now let's think about when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. They were probably pretty significant meth- methane emitters or when we had the buffalo, the herds of buffalo, same thing. So this is, it's really more about... Not, not even they're using that as an excuse, mm-hmm. but they really want to get rid of, um, you know, beef and and the things that we like to eat. Right, right, and they, you know, it's again they they think they know what's best for everybody, and they want to use the force of government to impose that on everybody else. And 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 in this case, they're just doing it through the introduction introduction of a non-native uh, predator species into the western part of the state. I'm going to make just another point. This is a little down the weeds, but let's think about it. If that scenario played out, first of all, they said that they do have in the measure that there could be, uh, you know, um, the livestock or the farmer rancher could be paid for their loss, but they have to prove it. Have you, have you ever tried to prove something to a bureaucratic agency to try to get some money? Uh, no, I've never <laughs> gone to the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would be very difficult. But let's say their scenario played out, vegan or um, vegetarian. And they take away the the methane emitters. That means that people at the grocery store are going to have to buy more of the product that they like to eat, which ultimately, um, the more demand, uh, it may make the price go up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes it more expensive to eat, and yeah. which disproportionately harms poorer people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know that was a little bit in the weeds, but I just uh, trying to make make a point here that there's always unintended consequences. So we are a strong no vote on this particular proposition, which is, uh, let's see, Proposition 114. Let's go on to, let's see, oh, the next one. And this is uh, Proposition 115. You knew this when they were going through the initiative process as 120, but then once they get through that that process of getting something on the ballot, then many times they're renumbered. This is the prohibition on late-term abortions here in Colorado. We recommend a yes vote on this. Rick, I think a lot of people do not know that in Colorado, we have some of the most aggressive abortion, um, um, I don't want to say rights, but abortions here in Colorado, that a baby can be aborted up until the day of birth. And obviously, 
you know, a baby at birth, I mean, they can feel pain. Science shows that for sure at 22 weeks that a baby feels pain. So what this measure says is that there will be, uh, abortion will be illegal here in Colorado after 22 weeks with some caveats. And this seems to me like a compassionate compromise to this abortion question that is facing us in America here. I agree. And, you know, abortion is a very, uh, very personal, very difficult decision. I, I, of course, don't believe that government belongs anywhere in the, in the equation. Um, you know, there's a couple of things about this. You know, I've, I've always had a problem with uh, an abortion uh, law uh, creating a criminal penalty for a woman. And this one does not do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, nor does it really create a, a felony criminal penalty for um, for an abortion performer. I think it's a misdemeanor. But, you know, I, as my friend Laura Connor wrote about in her book, Government Ruins Nearly Everything, um, there are there are compassionate alternatives to abortion that are available to women, you know, uh, adoption centers, you know birthing centers, you know, there's, there's, and I'm obviously not a woman, so I'm not as up on these things as I maybe should be. But, um, you know, I, I feel like this is a, a as you said, a compassionate and, com- and caring compromise on the abortion issue. And, and hopefully, you know, nobody ever has to face the, face it. But, uh, you know, I think after 22 weeks when a baby can feel pain or if it's even born alive and, you know, it should be protected at that point. Um, because know. we're all, the American idea is about life Liberty, Liberty and Pursuit and of Happiness. Yeah. And com notes that Colorado is one of only seven states that allows abortion up until the moment of birth for any reason with no restrictions at all. Internationally, only five of 198 countries permit elective abortion after 24 weeks. Three of five nations that permit late-term abortions are notorious human rights abusers. We do not want to be in the same ballpark as the, those folks, you know what? <laughs> right, we certainly don't, and... Uh, you know, like you said, I, I think the due date too late com, um, dot com website, I just looked at it the other day for the first time, and they've got some really good FAQs and, and some really good uh, commentary around this issue. And I, I recommend everybody look at that when they're when they're contemplating how they're going to vote on this. Yes, great, great suge- uh, suggestion. Okay, next one. Uh, state income tax reduction. And so I've written about taxation and the effect of uh, taxation on state economic success uh, a couple times on your blog and, and maybe once on mine uh, to advancefreedom.com. And uh, the states that have low or no income taxes without exception, perform better than states that have high income taxes. And in Colorado, um, you know, as an example of how we should not let Democrats have full control of our state, in 1936, that was the last time they had full control of our state government, they passed a bill to refer a constitutional amendment uh, to create a voter, uh, to create an income tax in Colorado. And that measure did pass, unfortunately. For the first 50 years, our income tax in Colorado was a graduated income tax like the federal tax uh, system is. Uh, The top tax rate was 10% from 1947 to 59. That changed in 1987 when the state legislature passed a bill to create a flat 5% tax. And that 5% tax was lowered by uh, uh, to 4.63 in tax year 2000, and it's been there ever since. Um, Interestingly, when the 5% flat tax was passed, the Republicans had control over the General Assembly that year, um, and the bill was signed into law by Democrat Roy Romer. So that was a bipartisan bill, and it was a bipartisan law to, to create a flat tax in the state of Colorado. Um, thanks to capitalism, people are able to, people thrive when they're able to keep more of what they earn. And uh, under the principle that, uh, you know, lower taxes are better, this is a 2% tax cut, and uh, it'll have a a nominal effect on the state budget and you know under the concept of the Laffer curve it might even increase tax revenues so for that reason we're a very strong yes on this one most definitely and more information at my website kimmunson.com with that voter's guide there what's the next one rick turnquest the next one is uh one that's near and dear to my heart proposition of 117 which is voter approval for certain new state enterprises so basically what this would do is it would change the Colorado revised statutes requiring statewide voter approval at the next even year election of any newly created or qualified state enterprise that is exempt from the taxpayer bill of rights. Um, article 
10, section 20 of the Colorado Constitution, if the projected or actual combined revenue from fees and surcharges of the enterprise and all other enterprises created within the last five years that serve primarily the same purpose is greater than $100 million within the first fis five fiscal years of the creation or qualification of the new enterprise. So basically... You know, as we mentioned earlier, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, or TABOR, uh, creates limitations on government by saying that government can impose new taxes or raise existing taxes without a vote of the people. Governments can't issue new debt without a, an affirmative vote of the people. Um, in the event governments take more money than they're supposed to, they're required to return the money to taxpayers unless we vote to allow them to keep it. So there's an exception in TABOR for so-called enterprises. Um, and basically, this was to allow a library to raise its overdue fines um, without going to a vote of the people. But when you leave a, lo a loophole in a law or a constitution, um, politicians, mostly with D's next to their names, but some with R's, mm -hmm. uh, will find uh, ways to exploit that. And by gosh, the enterprise loophole on Tabler has gotten big enough to sail an aircraft carrier through. <laughs> So now, whenever the government wants to create a new program, but they don't want to ask the voters for a tax increase, they will create the program. They'll call it an enterprise. They'll say it's exempt from TABOR, and they'll charge fees, or in the case of what we're going to talk about next, premiums. So this initiative basically will close that loophole, and it will uh, require the state to ask us permission to charge us new fees or premiums for government uh, programs. Because let's face it. Any money taken by government force to fund a government program is a tax. You can call it a fee, you can call it a premium, you can call it cheese from Mars, but it's still a tax. And in Colorado, under Tabor, it should be voted on by the people. So we are a strong yes on Proposition 117. Okay, next one. Oh, boy. You've written on this. Uh, you know a lot about this one. So this next one is uh, Proposition 118 for a paid family and medical leave insurance program where a we're a strong no on this one. And basically what this ballot initiative does, and I'm not going to read it because it's long and it would be boring to listen to, but um, what it would do is it would create a state-run paid family and medical leave and insurance program. And let's just get get out, out front that I'm not opposed to paid family and medical leave um, when it's offered by a, by a private employer as, a, as an employee benefit to their employees. And, you know, more power to any company, large or small, that, that – offers such a program and that's willing to work with their employees to, to manage through these life events. And we've all had them. We've, you know, uh, you know, people have children and, and aging parents and, and medical problems every day. And we've been coping with them since the beginning of time. I think the proponents of this are playing to that vulnerability, though, of families thinking, oh, my gosh, if I needed to do something with my children or my passing parent, oh, it would be nice to have some some paid leave. Mm -hmm. I think they're playing to that. Yeah, they are, they're always quick to tout the benefits of it and 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 go for the sympathy aspect of it. But what they're not really being honest about or talking about is the is the cost of the program. You know, nothing nothing comes from nowhere. There's no you you don't get money from a vacuum and governments don't create wealth. So this program will be funded by a tax on every worker in the state. And and in in the blog post, um, No More Family, on your website, Kim, I, I have a table that compares. So a little history. This bill, or you know, something very similar, has been proposed uh, four times before in the state legislature. In 2015, it was killed in the Democrat-controlled House. So you know it had to be really bad. The next two years, it was um, killed and it was passed in the House and killed in the state Senate uh, when the Republicans had control of the Senate. And then in, in 2019, the bill was going to fail, even under complete Democrat control. And at the last minute, they changed it to authorize a study so that they could claim victory. And it, would, and it did, you know, there was a study done. And uh, this year, they were supposed to bring forth another bill based on that study, but they couldn't agree on what that bill was going to look like. Plus, with the um, uh, COVID-19 shutdown of the legislature took away the time to talk about it. So there's no bill introduced in, in uh, 2020. But this bill would create a government program run by a director 
who would be an unelected bureaucrat with vast powers. It would be funded by taxes on every single worker in, in the state. And the way the ballot language reads is they say it's a tax on employers of, of 0.9%. So we're just going to call it 1% for, for ease of, of discussion. But half of that employers would be able to take from employees. So it's really a tax on employers and employees. And it starts at 0.9%, but there's no assurance that it will remain at 0.9%. The program would also be allowed to issue revenue bonds, which are bonded indebtedness of the state secured by specific revenues. Revenue bonds can cost millions of dollars to issue. And, uh, and they have to, you know, they, you have to pay interest on them. And at some point in the future, you have to repay them. And uh, under Tabor, bonded indebtedness of the state is subject to a vote of the people. So this is they're again Another circumventing. Yep, they're again circumventing Tabor here. So, um, you know, so it's a it's an illegal tax. It's they have the ability to issue revenue bonds. And the fact this director can raise taxes is it's terrifying. Yeah, this director will have vast powers. They can adjust the tax rate. They can, you know, set employer fines. They can waive fraud. You know, so if you get accused of fraudulently collecting uh, benefits under this program, if you, you know, say, oh, I didn't mean to or whatever, then the director can just waive the fines or the penalties uh, for, for fraudulent activity. Well, and one other thing, because there's only going to be a certain pot of money and somebody at some point in time is going to have to make a decision. Let's say you have two employees and you're, you're a small business and uh, you, you have, uh, or you have ten employees, and two are wanting to get paid family leave. At some point in time, it seems like there's going to be decisions that are going to made, be made about who gets it and who doesn't. But they all pay into it. Right. Yeah. Everybody pays into it, whether you ever use it or not. Like, I would probably n- not ever use it. I can't. Would you be forced to pay for? But it? I'd be forced to pay for it. And uh, you know, similar. There's only a handful of states that have similar programs, and uh, they've, you know, one of the key um, assumptions underlying this ballot initiative is a utilization rate of 3.5%, meaning that only 3.5% of the people would use it. Um, But similar programs have experienced higher than that in all cases, and so they've deliberately lowballed their their estimate for what the utilization rate would be. there's uh, and you know I have evidence that states that with similar programs are not performing as well economically as Colorado. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, this is just one of them, mm-hmm. but uh, you know it's definitely something to think about in terms of what we want for the future of our state and our and the flourishing of our economy. Um, it would make it harder. It would make it more expensive to start and operate a small business in Colorado, and it would make harder for people at the margins to find jobs. And and you know Kim, I wrote a another. I was walking my dog the other morning and I thought, you know, I'm not the only voice against this thing. So I wrote a blog post. It's on my website, toadvancefreedom.com. It's called Other Voices Against Family. And in there, I've linked uh, several articles written by other people. Uh, the Common, Common Sense Institute wrote a detailed white paper on Proposition 118, which I highly encourage everyone to look at. Um, it, it links to... Uh, Articles written by my friend Diana Petrak, um, Colorado Policy Pathways. She's written four articles that are that are well worth read. Uh, even even you know left leaning journalists have weighed in in op eds in prior years against uh, the concept of paid family medical leave in Colorado. Uh, so I encourage everyone to look at other voices against family on my website to advancefreedom.com and uh, and to please vote no. This is uh, a program that will that will quickly get out of control and it's all but impossible to repeal once it's enacted. Okay. Strong no. And that is a strong no on proposition 118, the paid family and medical leave insurance program. Let's jump into candidate recommendations. We really weren't going to make candidate recommendations and we actually ended up a little bit um, further down in the guide doing so. But generally we're saying from County commissioner all the way to president we are recommending a vote for Republicans. You may not love all Republicans, but we need to get Republicans into office because we have a clear choice, Rick Turnquist. This Democrat party is not the, the Democrat party of your grandpa and your grandma. It's not JFK's party anymore. It's radical, activist, pro- progressive, socialist left. And we are seeing its destruction, its division. And if that's what you want... You vote Democrat. Most people don't want that. We're recommending Republican. Yeah, it's it's in the summer since, you know, since Memorial Day, um, we've seen very clearly 
what the Democratic Party is all about. They claim to be against fascism, but they are the fascists because they want to they want to silence opposing speech. Uh, cancel culture is an example of that. Um, you know, nightly riots and burning uh, and and shootings and you know murders of police officers and and shooting of police officers and complete disregard for the rule of law. Um, you know. Here in Denver, we saw you know nightly riots at the Capitol for for a period of time, uh, and there's a picture in in the voter guide that was taken by my friend Michael Fields of it's the Capitol back in um, in uh, July. It was disapproved for uh, for advertisement in Facebook because of the foul language on it, which I didn't even notice because I must be so jaded. But you know, this picture is a graphic representation of what we're facing in this election, and a vote for a Democrat is a vote for what's in this picture. And most people don't like that. So that is why we're recommending Vote Republican. Additionally, we talk about a group that a lot of people are not aware of. It's Emerge. And it is a candidate training program, again, by the progressive activist left, which is uh, training Democrat women to how to run for office. It sets them up with uh, connections with donors, websites. uh, And the candidate training program is very good as far as very polished uh, and it also uh, trains them to kind of play the message to the audience that they're talking to. I have seen emerge candidates come across as somewhat moderate, very good at not saying anything. But man, once they get into office, it is uh, not representing you. It is representing their agenda. Yeah, emerge is is an organization that's well worthy of respect. They have a you may not like them or agree with them, but they're very good at what they do, which is to train uber progressive women to run for office and win. Uh, I think their success rate is in the 80s, you know, 85% is what I think I heard. Um, you know, Secretary of State Jenna Griswold, uh, who recently called for the national press to not, uh, you know, talk about the election on election night and then later had to issue an apology. She's a she's an Emerge alum. Uh, Candy C. DeBaca, the self-avowed communist city council member or in uh, the city of Denver is a, is an emerge alum. Faith uh, winner, the, uh, faith winner, mm-hmm. the family person. She's uh, she's an emerge alum. I think she was their executive director at one time. Um, so and you know, in, in Douglas County, in Douglas County. Yeah. We've got a couple of County commissioner candidates who are emerge alum um, and they're very well financed. They're very, you know, they have access to a nationwide network of donors. And one of them has actually re- raised a significant of money from out of state. Um, and very little money from Douglas County zip codes. So it's very important. And you can actually, you can put in a candidate's name and then Emerge Colorado or Emerge America, and it'll do a search. Typically, they, they talk about if somebody is an Emerge alum. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I don't take the Emerge uh, candidates lightly. They, they, they know what they're doing. They're well-trained. They've got a lot of support. You know, they've got people that'll do websites for them. They've got a nationwide network of donors. Um, you know, an Emerge alum took the Arapahoe County Clerk and Recorder away, um, job away from Matt Crane back in 2018. So I, I don't take them lightly, and I don't think that anybody else should. But what our point here is know what you're voting for. You may think you're voting for, for something that someone that is talking to your values, but the Emerge candidates, we know exactly what their agenda is. And so that's why we put this in here. Yeah. Okay. And additionally, we have another discussion on no one should die alone, but apparently there were 17 Colorado representatives that disagree. During the COVID-19 Wuhan virus reaction disruption, we have had uh, people that have died without loved ones, and it is absolutely tragic. Uh, And actually, there's some different links to the story of Steve and Elizabeth Ryder. Elizabeth Ryder died after 20 days in the hospital alone. Neither her husband, her mother, her sons could come to visit her. It's a riveting story. We have the links there. And in response to just these stories, Representative Tim Geithner from El Paso County put forth a piece of legislation. There was bipartisan support on it, uh, basically to say that no one, it was House Bill 20, 1425, and it was regarding um, patient visitation rights during the COVID-19 pandemic. And it basically said that no one should die alone, that a loved one could be there as somebody was going on that journey in their life. It it did pass unanimously through the Colorado Senate. One would think it would pass unanimously in the House. But 17 House Democrats voted no. In essence, they said they voted that people could die alone. So we named them, 
and we named their opponents, and we are recommending to vote these people out because they obviously don't care about everyday people, and we need to get representatives that do. And uh, so we put a, uh, talked a little bit about that as well, Rick. And yeah, these 17 people are, are among the worst um, representatives in, in our state legislature. Um, when I when I when I looked through this list and I was compiling the list of opponents, I was I was like, wow, you know, these these people really need to be voted out, and I hope that everybody does. Okay, in summary, um, let's go ahead and sum this up, Rick. What's your thoughts? Well, in terms of voting for people who support limited government, the taxpayer bill of rights, and freedom generally. The choice is clear. Democrats are the party of big government, higher taxes, redistribution of wealth and property. They're hostile to our free speech rights and our right to keep and bear arms. Uh, Joe Joe Biden, presidential candidate, denounces right-wing militias but fails to condemn Black Lives Matter and Antifa, which is responsible for the overwhelming majority of the violence we've seen since Memorial Day. Uh, We think the divide in this country is between people. Uh, largely progressives aligned with the Democrat Party who want to tear our country down, and those of us who want to conserve the values of the Amer- American founding, which mostly aligns with the Republican Party. Um, this November, we literally have the choice for voting for the principles of, of liberty of the pr- American founding or tyranny via mob rule. Um, so to sum up, vote Republican. They may not be perfect, but they're better than the alternative. That's for sure. Rick uh, Turnquest, it's such a pleasure to do this voter's guide with you. I love doing the events over the salon series at Water's Edge Winery. And then we hope that this podcast, the Sounding Off with uh, Kim Munson podcast, will be of help to everyone as well. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Kim. This has been great. I'm glad we uh, decided to work together on this. Yeah, definitely. And so your website is to advancefreedom.com. My website is KimMunson.com. That's where you can find the voter's guide. Uh, My friends, God bless you and God bless America.